Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Lift your voices and your hands right now, church family. He's worthy. We love you, Lord God. We honor you. You are the great I am. You are the great I am. Let's worship the Lord for just a moment longer. Let's entertain and invite his presence into our homes. We love you, Lord. We honor and exalt you, Lord Jesus. You are worthy. You are holy. You are mighty. You are excellent. There is no God beside our God. He is great, and he is greatly to be praised. Turn with me in your Bibles, and if you're not already and you are able to, would you stand together with me and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 and verse number 9. Acts chapter 4, verse 9. As you turn there, I want to make mention of a couple or a few prayer requests that we would like you to keep in prayer. Sister Maria Velez, we want to pray for a quick and complete healing in her recovery from an operation she had earlier this week to correct her hearing. We also want to remember Sister Rita Morgan, who is having a very difficult time with walking because of the pain that is in her legs and in her hip. We want to pray for both of our dear sisters as well as our building project that God would grant us wisdom, guidance, and provision. And... Um, we appreciate the provision that is being supplied through our church members in giving toward the Faith Forward campaign. We look forward to celebrating in the near future together what God has accomplished through His church and their giving in the Faith Forward campaign. And if you can, make one more sacrificial offering. Before this month is over, would you, would you consider uh, giving sacrificially toward the Faith Forward campaign and help us to get a little bit closer, maybe even reach our campaign pledge of $315,365. We turn our attention to the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 9 through 14. It says, and if you're not already standing, stand together with us uh, in honor to the Word of God. The Bible says, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you have crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone, Peter says, which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner, neither is there salvation in any other? For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. These were the words of the apostle Peter before the Jewish council that interrogated him. And in verse 13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. And let everybody say amen to the word of God. I feel led of the Lord to preach to my refuge church family on this subject, be bold, be bold. In fact, if you are watching this video with someone else, look at them in the room and look at them and say, be bold. Amen. <clears throat> Before you're seated, I'm going to ask you to pray together with me. Let's ask the Lord, amen, to speak to our hearts however he wants to tonight. Amen, that we will hear from heaven. Lord, we love you. 
We thank you so much for all that you've done. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. I ask that you will speak through me, Lord. I pray that I will be a messenger of your word to your people. I believe, Lord, that that is entirely possible. In fact, I believe it's likely because you desire to speak to your church today. I stir up the gift that is within me, and I pray that I will be led of the Spirit to speak your word and not my own, and let us have an open heart. Let our ears be unstopped to hear your word and receive it. Lord, I give you all the glory and all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. But before you're seated, amen, why don't we clap our hands to Jesus right now? Lord, we love you. <clears throat> we thank you, Jesus. We praise you and we honor you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. <clears throat> now, I will say this before we get into the message. Uh, I promise you that we have been striving to stay as current as we can with uh, the constantly changing circumstances and the orders that are being given both by our president and our governors. And uh, we, are, we are always looking uh, toward the horizon for the day that we'll be able to meet together again in person and we want to do so not just not just when uh, authorities say it is okay to do so but we want to allow the lord to lead us and to do so with wisdom uh, but we do want it to happen soon we want it to happen really soon actually and uh, be praying with us of course when that day comes and it will come uh, we want to we want you to know that if you feel uh, uncomfortable uh, with venturing out and being together with a group of people. Uh, you can feel free to stay at home, uh, and we will continue to stream our services or share our ser services through video with, with everybody. And, of course, if you are not feeling well, if you've had a temperature within the past 24 hours um, of the time that we will get together in the future, of course, you would stay home under those conditions as well. Well, while I read, uh, while I read, excuse me, while I read our text from Acts chapter 4, let me first turn your attention to the book of Matthew. If you still have your Bibles available, feel free to turn with me to Matthew chapter 10 and verse 17. Matthew chapter 10, verse 17, it's a place in Scripture where Jesus spoke to the fear that would attempt to overtake his disciples when, not if, but when the day of persecution would come. Now, after we turn our attention to Matthew 10, we will eventually make our way back to Acts chapter 4. Matthew chapter 10, verse 17, it says, Beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues, and ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. The Lord is telling his disciples that they, were, they would have to stand and be questioned, even interrogated by councils and synagogues and governors and kings. And when they deliver you up, Jesus says in verse 19 of Matthew 10, when they deliver you up, take no thought 
how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. Now, I have heard people mistakenly use the final portion of this text to mean that a minister should not premeditate what he or she will speak before stepping up to a pulpit. Now, studying this verse within its context, you will quickly discover that these words of Jesus, when he said, take no thought of what or how you'll speak, because in the same hour, I'm going to give it to you. You quickly discover that these words of Jesus to his disciples were instructions on how they will face persecution. And what he's telling them is to not be afraid. Don't, don't feel intimidated when the time comes. When you, and some of them were uneducated fishermen, and they will stand trial before teachers and rulers and philosophers of their day. If you could imagine putting yourself in their sandals, not having an education beyond grade school, if that, maybe not even knowing how to read or write, some of them perhaps, and the thought of standing before educated rulers of great position and authorities and magistrates to them may have seemed overwhelming and intimidation. Of course, consider this scripture in Matthew 10 in light of what God told that Old Testament patriarch Moses when he confessed to God that he was reluctant to accept the call to go and stand before Pharaoh and speak on behalf of God, God replied to Moses' reluctance and said, Now go. I will help you as you speak. I will teach you what to say. And we find these words in Exodus 4.12 very similar, very familiar to what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew. While we recognize and we appreciate at the Refuge Church education. We uh, appreciate degrees of academia. In fact, we will soon honor our graduates from high school and college. We also appreciate advances in technology through which we come to you today through the means of and even modern medicine that we hope for uh, to help with things like this coronavirus pandemic. The child of God, you and I as born again believers, we never have to feel as though we need to take a back seat because some scholarly speaking atheist or agnostic is attempting to intimidate you by acting as they are the only ones who could speak authoritatively on, on subjects like creation and the sanctity of human life and morality and the institution of marriage and gender distinction, and the list could go on. Now, Refuge family, make no mistake about it. There is a war happening right now. It has not slowed down. It has not stopped because of COVID-19. In fact, I believe that the God of this world is trying to speed things up and he seeks to employ 
all that live under the influence of his moral and spiritual darkness. Let me direct your attention to a familiar passage, I'm sure, to many of you. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, maybe you don't know the reference, but these words will be familiar to you. The apostle says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the world, uh, rulers of the darkness of this world and against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, what do you think that those terms mean? Principalities, rulers of the darkness of this world, powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. I'll tell you what these things mean. They, they, are, they are referencing invisible, satanic, spiritual forces and governments and rulers and powers who are tirelessly working, even right now as you watch this video, they are tirelessly working to influence visible powers, governments, administrations, and rulers. In fact, let, let the message of this next scripture perhaps bring further light to what I'm implying here. Romans 6, verse 19 through 22, the apostle Paul says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have surrendered your members or your bodies, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even now that you have been born again, yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. Verse 20 of Romans 6. For when you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. And, and what fruit or what was what, what appeared in your life in those things where now you are ashamed, he says, because the end of those things led to death, spiritual and physical death. Verse 22, but now being made free from sin and you have become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and to the end everlasting life. Now, while using these scriptures in the past to admonish saints in the present, that you and I should live for God with at least as much passion after being born again as we did for the world before Christ delivered us. But today, I want to use this same passage of scripture to remind you that not all have been born again. Not all have been made free from the power of sin. And so those who remain servants to sin, they are still under the power and the influence of the God of this world. So with that in mind, when you hear scholastic and political talk points in the media and in the news like, Evolution, the power, or excuse me, the pro-choice movement giving women the quote-unquote right to an abortion or same-sex marriage or gender equality or transgenderism, uh, transgenderism. I want you to be alert and understand that there is a spiritual darkness at work to project its agenda into our society and, and shape our culture through governments, man's governments, legislation, education, entertainment. And the next time you hear these things come up in any of these venues, notice 
the demeaning tone in the conversation from the supporters of these social issues that will try to intimidate Christians like you and I as though we who would believe in teachings that are founded in Scripture are somehow we are less scholarly and we are certainly out of date with reality. Now, I will be the first to raise my hand and I will admit that as a minister and a preacher of biblical values and morality defined by our creator, there have been in my life feelings of intimidation that have tried to creep up on me, telling me that nobody is listening and nobody wants to hear it anymore and nobody lives that way, David. So why are you trying to tell people that they should live this way? And to all of that, I would say these words. Words, the devil is a liar. I believe that our hearts, our marriages, our children, furthermore, our neighbors, our communities, they need to, and I'm becoming even more persuaded today than I was yesterday. They, they want to. There are people in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our families that want to hear voices that clearly speak to what they know in their hearts is good and is right. For as it is said in the opening remarks of our country's declaration of independence, we find these truths to be self-evident. From man's very conscience and even our biological makeup, they both testify against these things which are often propagated in politics and promoted in today's entertainment industry. Are you hearing me today? Listen, don't be ashamed to believe what this truth, what this word preaches. Don't be ashamed to believe what this Bible says. Don't be ashamed because I believe that if you will study it out and if you will search it out and if you will share it with others, you will find that there are many other people that feel the same way you do and that they are wanting and craving this biblical truth that confirms what their hearts are trying to tell them. Now, all of these things that I have now said, they lead me back to the fourth chapter of the book of Acts, where Peter and John, they have been detained and interrogated for preaching and healing in the name or in the authority of Jesus Christ. And we read their response. We read their response in our text where Peter would stand up before these educated rulers in his Jewish culture. And he says, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man by what means he is made whole. He says, if we're being questioned as to how this man who could not walk is now able to, to walk, then you need to know. In fact, I want all of Israel to know that it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. How many still believe there's power in the name of Jesus? Say amen. He says, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you have crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand before you whole. 
He says, this Jesus, he was like a stone that you all rejected to use in the building of your buildings. But it, this stone, Jesus Christ, has become the chief cornerstone upon which the entire building of God rests upon. He goes on to say, there's not salvation in any other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That saving name, somebody say it, Jesus. Now, Peter, Peter, this, this same man who not that much earlier we find in scriptures is denying the Lord Jesus. We find just a, a few pages earlier in scriptures that when Jesus is speaking of his impending sufferings that Peter says, be it far from you. And Jesus has to tell Peter, get behind me, Satan. You don't even know what spirit you are of. This same Peter is now standing before learned individuals, rulers of his society. And the Bible says that after he spoke in this manner to these people, the Bible says in verse 13 of Acts 4, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, because of the boldness, they knew they must have been with Jesus. And then with the man that was miraculously healed that is now able to walk, they couldn't say anything against it. Now, most students of scripture would agree that the most educated of the apostles was without doubt the apostle Paul. No doubt if he was with us today, we would refer to him as Dr. Paul. He wrote of his pedigree and education in Philippians chapter three. He says, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a true Jew. I, I'm of the stock of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I, as touching the law, I'm a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, I used to persecute the church, touching the righteousness, which is in the law blameless. Yet the gospel we find in the New Testament was effectively preached, whether it was through the educated Dr. Paul or through the uneducated fisherman like Peter. In fact, that same educated Dr. Paul, if you will, who was respected and he was learned, he wrote of the way that he chose to preach to those in the city of Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, he says, When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you of God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Ghost. I did this so that you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. You see, the Greeks which lived in the city of Corinth, that he was writing to the Christians of that city, they prided themselves in their ability to use big flowery words and engage and listen to great philosophical discussion. 
But Paul states how he intentionally and he unapologetically chose to preach the gospel in a plain and simple manner. He did not want the cross of Christ to be rendered of no effect, lest the success should be credited to Paul's ability to command the art of language rather than the power of the truth that he preached. He preached a crucified Jesus in plain language. Even though Paul had been brought up in Jewish learning at the feet of the great teacher Gamaliel, in the preaching of the cross, Paul chose to lay his learning aside. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord. He told the people that Jesus, who was crucified at Jerusalem, he was indeed the Son of God and the Savior of mankind, and that all who would be saved must repent of their sins and believe on him and submit to the government of God. This truth that Paul would preach to the city of Corinth and to all of Asia would need no artificial intelligence. It shined with the greatest majesty in its own light. It prevailed in the world by its own God-given authority. It was more adequately, it was more than adequately displayed in the demonstration of the Holy Ghost, he said, without any human help. Human hands didn't orchestrate this, but it was the power of God's Spirit. The plain preaching of a crucified Christ was more powerful, it proved more powerful than all the oratory and philosophy of the Greek world of his day. Now, while we note the remarks of the Jewish council revealed that they found it remarkable that Peter and John were unlearned and ignorant, yet spoke with authority and boldness. We do not see their statements as a license to promote continued ignorance in the way we would understand those terms in our day. Ignorance and unlearned. Nowhere in Scripture, Old or New Testament, do we find that God wants us to continue in being ignorant of those things which are important. Some might say that ignorance is bliss, but it is not necessarily bliss, and it is definitely not blessed of God. Christ, we find, calls his followers to quite the contrary. No less than six times in Paul's letters to the churches, he would not that the brethren should be ignorant with words like those found in 1 Corinthians 12.1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. We find in Acts chapter 7, while Paul was in Athens, he called out the philosophers of Mars Hill, and he called them that they were ignorant, but he was calling them out of ignorance into understanding. He noted that as he passed by, he saw an altar that was made to an unknown God. And he said that this God I will declare to you. You don't know him, but I'm about to tell you about him because God doesn't want you to remain 
seen in the darkness of your ignorance. And so he declared this God who has made the world and everything that is in them. He is worshiped not with men's hands. He does not dwell in temples made with hands. He gives to all life and breath and all things. And he hath made one blood of all nations for of men for to dwell on the face of the earth. He goes on even to cite their own poets, but then he wraps up his comments. In verse 29, he says, for as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the God has Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's devices. He says, don't compare God to something that you could see, something that you could shape, make no image or likeness of God. But the times of this ignorance, Paul says, God, he winked at, but now our God commands all men everywhere to repent. So God calls not us to ignorance, but rather God calls us, we find in scripture, to taste and see that he is good, to know and believe that he is God. In Isaiah, he calls us to reason together with him. In Proverbs, he says we ought to buy the truth and sell it not. In Timothy, Paul tells Timothy to study and show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. We ought to know this book, church. If you have never read the Bible from cover to cover, you ought to read this book from cover to cover. You ought to study and, and pour over its pages for in it is life. It is the living word of God. Even if you have read some passages, perhaps hundreds of times, it will seem and appear that if you read it one more time, God will speak to you in a new and a fresh way. But at the end of the day, we will not win our neighbors our family members, much less our cities and our countries by our ability to exegete with exactitude the mysteries and profundities of the abyss of the Textus Receptus. Now, maybe some of you are like, what? <laughs> if you want to know what I just said and what that means, maybe you should ask a Bible college graduate like our youth pastor, Brother Alex Perry, what it means to exegete with exactitude, the mysteries and profundities of the abyss of the Textus Receptus. But listen, you don't have to know what all of that means. But the world, listen, the world will sit up and it will notice those of you who like Peter and John. The Bible says they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. The most important thing that you will ever give on any that you will ever do on any given day is spend time with Jesus. Why? Because when you have spent time with Jesus, the world will sit up and take note. Furthermore, we ought to learn to allow the supernatural power of Jesus Christ to work through us and to perform the miraculous, and the world will be unable to say anything against it. When the man who could not walk now is walking because of the name and the authority of Jesus Christ. In closing, I would ask the Refuge Church of the 21st century to pray the prayer of the saint in the first century found in Acts chapter 4 and verse 29. When they said, and now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto your servants that with all boldness, someone say boldness, that with all boldness we may speak your word by stretching forth your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child. 
And the Bible says that when they prayed this prayer, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake the word of God with boldness. This boldness that I preach to you today in closing, this boldness is not ignorance. It is not it is not us acting bold because we do not know better. This boldness is not reckless. It is not us acting bold without forethought or insight for one's own or others' well-being. It is a boldness that is based on our position in Christ. It is based on faith, knowing what is eternal, knowing what is true, knowing what is unchanging, knowing God's leading by his spirit in our lives. God wants his church to be bold and to not pressure or cave to the intimidation that the world and the God of this world will seek to impose on your life. Oh, child of God, young and old, parent, oh, would you go ahead and lift up your hands right now? and ask for this boldness to come upon you. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. We need the Spirit of God. We need the Holy Ghost working in us and working through us. God has called us out of darkness. He has called us out of the darkness and into his light. The Bible says in Proverbs 28 and verse 1, the wicked will run when nobody is chasing him, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Oh, there is a saint of God that is watching this very message that you have been praying and you have been in the word of God and you have been faithful and you have spent time with the Lord. Listen, don't be intimidated. Don't be afraid. Don't live in fear or for the favor of man, but live, live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Live and stand tall in his righteousness, in his holiness. Live and know that you are abiding by the word of God and what he has called us to live by. Hallelujah. Why don't you lift your hands right now? Oh, if I were with you, if I were with each and every one of you, I would I would put my hand on your head and begin to pray with authority. Oh, pray with apostolic authority that God would lead you to be a witness to your neighbors, that God would lead you to be a witness to your co-workers, that through your hands you would see healings, that in your life you would see miracles and witness those things of the supernatural, that you would spend time with the Lord and that time with God would give you a spiritual boldness to overcome temptation, to overcome addiction, to overcome the advancement of the enemy against your life. I'm here to tell you that no weapon formed against you can prosper when you're spending time with the Lord and his word, when you're walking in alignment with his will for your life. Lift up your hands. Come on, church. Lift up your voice now. Let's begin to pray as the music begins. I ask you to pray through this next song. Pray through the duration of the song. Find a place to pray, whether kneeling or standing. Find a place to pray. Ask the Lord to impart upon you a fresh 
boldness in his spirit and in his word, in the things that you have received. This world needs to hear your testimony. This world needs for you to share the story of how God has redeemed your life from sin and from darkness and freed you from the power of sin. Our God is good, and this world needs to hear about it, and they're going to hear about it through you, through his church. God bless you. God bless you. Come on, let's pray. Let's talk to the Lord. We love you, Jesus.